This morning we are going to be talking about doubt and about a particular person in the Bible that we tend to associate with that word. Some people have been given nicknames that they really don't want because of something that they may have done. I'll give you an example from the world of sports. A man named Roy Regals, and the nickname that he got was Wrong Way. Roy Wrong Way Regals. He played football almost 100 years ago. He was playing for the University of California in 1928. And that team had won six games, lost once, and tied twice, which earned them a trip to the Rose Bowl on January 1st. And Regals was one of the best players on the team. He was actually voted onto the all-coast team. He was a very good blocker, but his, uh, his strength was playing what was then called roving center. Now, today, that position is probably most closely associated with middle linebacker. And in addition to being a really good athlete, his coach said that he was the smartest player that he had ever coached. So on January 1st, 1929, the Golden Bears of California were playing in the Rose Bowl. And midway through the second quarter, Regals picked up a fumble by the opposing team. He was just 30 yards away from running into his end zone and scoring for his team when he got hit and bumped into another player, kind of lost his bearings, got turned around, and started running towards the opposing team's end zone. 69 yards in the wrong direction with a teammate following him and screaming at him to stop or turn around. He finally caught up to Regal's at the three-yard line and managed to turn him around when they were hit by a wave of the opposing team and tackled on the one-yard line. That's probably not the way that you'd like to be remembered. But let's, I want to play a word association game with you. So this is audience participation. I expect you to yell out the answers, okay? The first one, I'm going to uh, say a word, and you just say the first word that comes to you. Keep it appropriate, please. Adam and, okay, you're doing well. Adam and Eve. Cain and, Noah and, yeah, you weren't sure if you should say the flood or the ark, right? Either one is appropriate. Daniel and, Shadrach, Meshach, and Peter, James, and, okay, this one's going to be a little different. Zacchaeus was a, I expected you to sing with me. Okay, how about this last one, doubting? That's right, and that's who we're going to talk about today. The disciple Thomas, known as Doubting Thomas. How would you like to be stuck with a nickname like that for the last 2,000 years? Well, who was Thomas? Let's lay a little bit of groundwork about him. Who was this man with an unfortunate nickname? And let's start with his name. Three times in the Gospel of John, Thomas is referred to as Thomas who is called Didymus or Thomas called Didymus. So what does that word mean, Didymus? It's actually Greek and it means double. So if you're putting it with somebody's name, it would mean Thomas the twin, This is similar to Jesus being called the Messiah by Jewish people or Christ by Greek speakers. Do we know who his twin was? There's no verse in the Bible that tells us who Thomas' twin brother or sister was. 
There's been speculation that because in the list of the disciples, Thomas's name is always paired with Matthew, that perhaps that was the twin. But I believe that where Scripture is silent, we ought to be silent as well and not speculate on what might be true. Simply put, we don't know who Thomas's twin sibling was, and honestly, it's really not that important or else the Holy Spirit would have made sure that it was recorded in Scripture. Thomas's name is mentioned in eight different passages in the Bible, but four of those are actually just lists of who the disciples were. They don't tell us anything more than that he was a disciple. In the first three Gospels, we know nothing but his name. It's the Gospel of John that tells us more about Thomas. Now, we can be certain that Thomas was Jewish and most likely from the province of Galilee. And I know that from Acts chapter 1, verse 11. This is at the ascension of Jesus when he's going to be going into heaven. And this is what it says in Acts 1.11. They, speaking of the angels, also said, Men of Galilee, speaking to the eleven remaining disciples, Why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Also from uh, the book, All of the Apostles, written by Herbert Lockyer, let me read just one short paragraph to you. From legendary material, we gather that he was born of poor parents who brought him up to the trade of fishing and who gave him a useful education, instructing him in the knowledge of the scriptures, whereby he learned wisely to govern his life and manners." Now, this doesn't say that he was highly educated. It says that he was given a useful education and then explains what that useful education was, is that it was a knowledge of the scriptures, which he received in order that he could wisely govern his life. Now, the New Testament does not tell us how Jesus called Thomas to be one of the disciples, like he does, like the Bible does with others, like Peter, James, John, and Andrew. Even though we don't know the details, Thomas must have listened to Jesus, along with the, the multitudes of people who thronged to the Messiah, and listened to Jesus' teaching. Thomas was probably then stirred by the Holy Spirit and surrendered his life to the Savior and left everything to follow Jesus when he was called by him. In this manner, Thomas is probably very much like everyone listening to me today who has done the same. You listened to the claims of Christ. The Holy Spirit began to work on you, and you surrendered your life to the claims of Jesus, and now you follow him. So let's talk about that elephant in the room, right? His reputation as a doubter. So for this, I need you to turn in your Bibles or on your devices to John chapter 20. We'll be starting at verse 19. If you didn't happen to bring a Bible with you this morning or don't have a Bible app on your phone, you can just reach in front of you and get the Bible out of the pew and turn to page 852 towards the bottom part of the page. John chapter 20, beginning at verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, 
Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. And that's how Thomas went from being called the twin to doubting Thomas. But I think by focusing on that one moment of doubt and forever labeling Thomas as a doubter, we have done him a disservice as well as removing somebody whose life could really encourage us. So let's backtrack a bit and talk about some of the amazing things about Thomas. First of all, Thomas was fearless in his devotion to Jesus. I need you to turn back in your Bibles just a few pages to John chapter 11, and we're going to begin at verse 1. John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Verse 3. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Now, wouldn't you think at this point that Jesus would say, okay, let's wrap up ministry here and let's go take care of my friend Lazarus. But in verse 6, we read this. So when Jesus heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you were going there again? Verse 11. After saying these things, Jesus said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And he makes it more plain in verse 14. He says, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. And this is one of the keys here in verse 16. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. Eleven disciples, when they realized that Jesus was determined to walk into what may have been certain death, tried to persuade Jesus to not go to the city of Bethany. But Thomas spoke up and he told the other disciples that they should not hinder Jesus from doing what he had planned even though it might cost them their lives. He said, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, I don't for a moment believe that this was some kind of an Eeyore statement. Might as well go and die with Jesus. No, I picture Thomas's attitude more like this. I know that he is the Messiah, and I'm following him regardless of where that path leads, even if it leads to death. And by the way, you guys should too. Thomas shows love and devotion. More than any of the other disciples at that moment were showing. Was he perhaps what we might call a heroic pessimist? I would define a heroic pessimist as someone who expects the worst to happen, but will still move forward in doing the right thing. So was Thomas a heroic pessimist? I don't think so. Rather, he was showing a deep loyalty that said, I will follow Jesus anywhere, even if that road leads to death. 
That is heroic devotion in the face of tragedy. That's the kind of devotion I want to have. Do you remember when Peter said, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death in Luke 22? Those were mere words, weren't they? Because Peter didn't follow through on what he said. In fact, he did just the opposite. Instead of following Jesus to the point of death, Peter swore he didn't even know Jesus, and he did it three times. But Thomas backed up his words by crossing the Jordan River with Jesus, fully expecting that by doing so, that his loyalty to Jesus would result in his own death. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, from the New Living Translation, we're told that the Christians would overcome Satan by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. I think that is describing Thomas's faith. He may have had a fatalistic attitude, not even believing at that point in the resurrection of Jesus, but he did not and would not desert Jesus. This showed Thomas's deep love for Jesus and his complete devotion to him, because in Thomas's mind there was no sacrifice that was too great. Perhaps at least at this time, he actually was the bravest of any of the disciples or Christ followers because he was willing to knowingly walk into the jaws of death if it was in the company of his Lord. He is to be highly commended and admired. Well, let's get back to our text. Back in John chapter 20, and we're going to pick it up now at verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and now Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Now, why do you suppose he said that both times that he appeared to the disciples? Wouldn't you need Jesus to say that if you had locked the door, probably deadbolted it, put a bar across the door, uh, put a chair underneath the doorknob, and Jesus still walked through the door? Wouldn't you need Jesus to say, Peace be with you? Verse 27 Then Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And you know, Jesus is actually blessing you at that moment Because if you have believed in Jesus and you have not seen him, then you're one of those people that Jesus has blessed. Thomas is the best known doubter in the Bible. In Jesus' time, it was common for rabbis to search for disciples to follow them that they could train and educate and disciple, right? And these rabbis would look for impressive people highly educated people from good backgrounds and good families, people that when they looked at this rabbi and saw his disciples would be impressed that this rabbi had such incredible people following him. But that's not the way that Jesus did it. Jesus, as we know, was a very controversial rabbi, partly because he was healing people and performing miracles. 
and partially also because he was not seeking out the brightest and most educated and most impressive people to be his disciples. So one day Jesus must have approached this fisherman named Thomas and invited him to follow himself. And what you need to remember is that Thomas has not been selected by any of the other rabbis to be a disciple, probably because he was not discipleship material. He wasn't educated. He wasn't among the elite. Thomas was ordinary. In other words, to be chosen to be Jesus' disciple was the break of a lifetime for Thomas. And that's why it was relatively easy for him to leave the family business and everything else behind to follow Jesus. And that's why Thomas staked the rest of his life on being a disciple of the rabbi Jesus. And that's also why when Jesus gave his life on the cross three years later, Thomas didn't even show up for the event. He just sank into what was surely a very deep depression All of the disciples gathered together just days after the crucifixion, but Thomas wasn't anywhere to be found. He was lost. He had panicked. His world is spinning. He doesn't know which way is up. And that's why many people call him a doubter. But I believe that doubt can actually be one of the most effective elements to lead somebody to committed belief. And there are are three elements on the road from doubt to committed belief that I want to share with you. You know, in many churches and Christian schools, the understood but unspoken rule is that doubts should be ignored or suppressed, but never talked about. But sometimes even the most committed Christ followers deal with doubts. In John chapter 20, verse 25, all the disciples have gathered together claiming that they have seen Jesus that he is risen, but Thomas said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. There were three ways in Greek to say, I will never believe. Thomas chose the strongest of those ways. Another way of putting it was, unless I can touch him and see for myself, I refuse to believe that Jesus has risen. If Jesus was truly risen, that one act of God demanded the rest of Thomas's life and his allegiance. But if Jesus had not risen, then his great hopes and all of his dreams were for naught. He had to know the truth for himself. And that position earned Thomas a reputation as a doubter. But I think that if you are wrestling with doubts, that your position that position can be the greatest start on your journey to committed faith and belief. It's as if Thomas was saying, this means so much to me, I have to know for myself. I need to see it to believe it. Some of you may be wrestling with similar questions. Do I believe this whole Christianity thing? Or maybe do I believe it because my parents believe it? Or am I just a weak person who's looking for a crutch? Let me assure you, God is not afraid of your questions. Now, I admire the person with a simple faith who can say, the Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it. I'm not putting that down, by the way, when I say it's a simple faith. I think it's a wonderful faith, and I admire that. But many people wonder, why? 
Why should I believe this? Some people sincerely wonder, is Jesus really the only way? That's a fair question and a decent place to start on your journey to real faith. The road to committed faith often starts with doubts. God will give us discoveries on that road to belief. As we sincerely seek, God will let us know Him in new ways, and He will answer our doubts. Sometimes He doesn't answer it in the way that we want Him to. Many people, as they grow out of childhood into their teen years or even into early adulthood, struggle with doubts. They want to know if Jesus really was the Son of God and if He was truly risen from the dead. And if so, then that event alone demands the rest of their life in loyalty to God. But if He didn't, you might as well do whatever you want. The Bible tells us in that same chapter in verses 26 and 27 that Thomas had not shown up for a week. And I believe the reason was is because he was devastated. But then a week later, the disciples gathered in the house again, and now Thomas was with them. The doors were locked again, but Jesus appeared among them and said, Peace be with you. Now Jesus' greeting was the kindest and most generous greeting anyone could offer in the Greek language. The phrase literally means, All peace in all ways and at all times be with you. Jesus gave Thomas the most benevolent greeting possible. When he saw Thomas, he didn't scold him for his doubt. He didn't belittle him, and he certainly didn't write him off. Rather, Jesus greeted him warmly. And then he said, put your finger here in my hands. Reach out and put your hand in my side. Stop doubting, my friend, and instead believe. Jesus gave Thomas exactly what he needed in order to believe. And I believe with all my heart that God will do the same for you. He may not give you exactly what you want, but he will give you exactly what you need. In John chapter 20, verse 28, Thomas says to Jesus, My Lord and my God. In other words, he's saying, You are my master and the God of the universe. For a Jew to make that kind of a statement was considered blasphemy, and that was punishable by death. But Thomas didn't care. He got the proof that he needed, proof of the resurrection. Indeed, it was proof that Jesus Christ was God. Tradition and other reliable sources tell us that Thomas became uh, became the great evangelizer of India. Many sources claim that he was in the country of India from A.D. 52 to A.D. 72 and founded many churches there. And it's commonly accepted that when a group of non-believers told Thomas to deny his faith in Christ, that one-time great doubter claimed, I will never, ever renounce Jesus. Because of his refusal, his persecutors drove stakes through his body and he died the death of a martyr. The doubter turned faithful and a committed believer to the end. Jesus hung out with people just like us, sinners. He loved them. He loves you. He said, if you want to have a part of my kingdom, you must first deny yourself. It's no longer about you. Then you take up your cross and you follow me. Being a disciple of Christ is not simply praying a prayer in order to keep yourself out of hell. 
It's about following Him and making Him the total center of your life. It's the, if the resurrection is true, it demands our whole life. Now, you remember the story I told you at the beginning about Roy Wrongway Regals? Regals was so distraught at halftime that he had to be talked into returning to the game for the second half. He told his coach, I can't do it. I've ruined you. I've ruined myself. I've ruined the University of California. I couldn't face that crowd to save my life. And his coach said, Roy, get up and go back out there. The game is only half over. And he did. He played the second half of that game and turned in a stellar performance, including blocking a punt. In later years, Regal said his blunder made him a better person. I gained true understanding of life from my Rose Bowl mistake. I learned you can bounce back from misfortune and view it as just something adverse that happened to you. Let's stop maligning Thomas and accusing him of morbid fear and gloominess and pessimism. Let's remember instead that he was one of the few people chosen to be Jesus' disciple with character that many have not fairly recognized. Above all else, Thomas had a deep devotion and love that was always ready to do the following. Leave everything for Christ, dare all for Christ, and even die for Christ. If you're a Sunday school teacher or a youth leader or a parent, please don't discourage questions or even doubts from your students or children. They will still have those questions and doubts. They'll just stop coming to you for answers. Now, maybe you're afraid that you don't have the answer, but that's okay because no one has all the answers except for God. But you can go on a journey together. Talk to your pastor. Find good resources. Study and find the answers together. Doubting Thomas was more a more or was a more unfair nickname ever given to a person. After what we've learned today, I think maybe a better nickname for Thomas would be Believing Thomas. For reasons we don't know, after his resurrection, Jesus first appeared to the disciples, all of them except for Thomas. We don't know why, but we know that it wasn't a mistake. Jesus had a very specific reason for this. But upon hearing the other disciples' claims to have seen Jesus alive, Thomas didn't believe. Thomas is labeled as the doubter because evidence was necessary for him to believe that Jesus had indeed conquered death and was no longer in a tomb. But I have to point out, this was evidence that the other disciples had already seen. If a need for evidence is unnecessary or improper criteria for belief in the resurrection, then we might as well label all of the disciples as doubters. Why? Because in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, verse 11, it's recorded that Mary Magdalene reported to them that she had seen Jesus alive, and they refused to believe it. Jesus reproached them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they didn't believe Mary. In Mark's Gospel, immediately after Jesus instructed them to do this, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. And then hearing that command, the disciples realized that they were being sent, not as a group, but as individuals. 
They were to split up and not only tell, but to act upon the story of salvation by Jesus throughout the world. Now, that was a staggering assignment for a group of people who had so recently doubted the resurrection. Thomas had his distinct part in that world-changing mission. The scriptures don't specify the details of Thomas's role. However, Hippolytus, a second and third century theologian and historian, in a very credible account of the areas where each apostle worked, wrote, Thomas preached to the Parthians, the Medes, the Persians, the Hyrcanians, the Bactrians, and the Margians, and was thrust through in the four members of his body with pine spears in a city in India and was buried there. Now, if we're going to assume that Hippolytus' account is true, then Thomas led people to saving faith in an area stretching from today's countries of northeastern Iran through Turkmenistan, Afghanistan, Pakistan, and India. And if you're struggling to to realize how large of an area that is, it's the equivalent of approximately the 25 easternmost states in the U.S. Yet today, Doubting Thomas is still a popular nickname often used by people who have little idea of who the apostle was, how mighty his faith was, or what was accomplished by his life. Is there a lesson in this for us? We have no room to hold Thomas in disdain for doubting unless our faith has never wavered, unless we too are ready to be martyred for Christ. Is there another lesson to learn from the life of Thomas? I believe that we should never... Uh, let a person's unguarded, unbecoming words or actions from their worst hour define them for the rest of their life. If requiring evidence is a sin, then Thomas overcame it in an amazing manner along with the rest of the apostles who initially were doubters, but then were commissioned to do something never done before in the history of the world and became spectacularly successful ambassadors for Christ. Thomas deserves our respect and our admiration, and his life is worthy of us to be copied. Let's pray. Our Father, this is an amazing and wonderful story, a true story of a man who had doubts and questions, but those doubts and questions did not keep him from coming to you. What a great example for us to follow, to bring our doubts and questions to you instead of having them turn turn us away from you. God, give us the faith that we lack and help us to search the scriptures diligently to find the answers that we need. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.